Open your Bibles, please, to John chapter 16. John chapter 16. We're in our continuing study of John. I want to ask you a question before we read our our text tonight. Which is better for us today? To have the Lord Jesus Christ with us or to have his Holy Spirit in us? Now I know that's a trick question. And those of you who have been well taught, and you know the answer. But to the average American or even American evangelical, if I ask them that question, that's almost like asking them, have you quit beating your wife? You know, I mean, they don't know how to answer that. And But tonight, even though it's a difficult question and a perplexing question for the average evangelical, Jesus has already answered it. And he's going to answer it in this text that we have tonight. So let's see what he has to say. Which is better... To have the Lord Jesus Christ in 2023 on earth or to have his Holy Spirit with us and in us. Beginning in verse 5. John 16 verse 5. Jesus says, but now I am going to him who sent me. And none of you asks me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. But I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the advocate, the helper, the counselor will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And he, when he comes, will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. And concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father, and you no longer see me. And concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world has been judged. I still have many more things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all all the truth. For he will not speak from himself. But whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will disclose to you what is to come. He will glorify me, for he will take of mine and will disclose it to you. All things that the Father has are mine. Therefore I said that he takes of mine and will disclose it to you. The Lord Jesus has just finished a session of intense teaching of concentrated condensed teaching to his disciples on love on his love for them on his love for his father on their love for him and their love for the father and also on hate on how the world hates him and therefore the world's going to hate them A hatred that is so intense that the Jewish elite will kill him and will seek to kill them and will in fact kill some of them. And he mercifully warns them before it happens so that when it does happen, they won't be stumbled. Their their faith won't be shaken. They won't wonder, 
what have we gotten into? Because he's telling them, this is what you're getting into. And in verse 5, he says, now he's going to him who sent me. He's going to his father. That's God the father. And he first dropped this bombshell on him earlier. Immediately after the Passover and after Judas had left. In chapter 13, verse 33, Peter asked him when he said, I'm going away. Peter asked him, where are you going away? And in chapter 14, verses 1 through 3, he explained where he was going. He was going to his father's house. He's going back to heaven. And then in chapter 14, verse 5, Thomas chimes in and asks again. When Jesus says, you know where I'm going and you know the way that I go. And Thomas chimes in and says, where are you going? We don't know where you're going. Well, he just told him where he's going. I'm going to the Father's house. But Thomas doesn't know where that is. And how can we know the way? And it's a curious statement that Jesus says here. But now I'm going to him who sent me, and none of you ask me, where are you going? Well, didn't Peter and Thomas just ask him that? But notice that he says, none of you asks me. That's present tense. That's continuous action. Peter asked him, where are you going? And the Lord Jesus told him, well, where I'm going, you can't go now. And Peter got all diverted by that. And he never asked anything else about where he was going. Thomas said, we don't even know where you're going. After Jesus told him he's going to the Father's house. And then he never says anything else. You would have expected these men to have said, now where is the Father's house, Lord? Or why are you going to the Father's house? Which is what he explains tonight. But they stopped asking him questions altogether. They were so easily distracted by the fact that he said he was going away. They didn't pursue it any further. So he says, none of you is even interested enough to keep asking about where I'm going. And verse 6 explains why they didn't keep asking him. He says, sorrow has filled your heart. Sorrow has filled your heart. They're sad because he's leaving. But they're sad for themselves. They're losing their beloved teacher and their master and their Messiah. And it's totally contradictory to everything they've expected to this point they're sorrowful for themselves over what they're losing this is a selfish sorrow a self-centered sorrow because they've not asked him anything about what when you go away when you go to your father's house what's that going to be like what are you going to gain or what are you going to face when you get there it's all about them, like it is with us so often. It's all about us. It's interesting, the 11 who are here haven't said anything to Jesus ever since chapter 14 and verse 8 when Philip asked the question, just show us the Father, and that's sufficient for us. And once Jesus told him, he who has seen me has seen the Father, 
they shut up. And they've not asked anything since then. Because they're so consumed with their own sorrow. With what they're losing. We thought we were going to gain the world, literally. We thought we were going to gain the empire. But that's not going to happen. And you're leaving. And then you tell us that we're going to be hated by all men for your name's sake. And so it's all about poor little me. And what's going to be happening to me. And he rebukes this this self-centered sorrow. But it's a very, very gentle rebuke. And with that same kind of tenderness, he comforts them in verse 7. But I tell you the truth. (laughs) Did Jesus really have to say that? I mean, when's he ever lied to him? I mean, really? When's he ever lied to him? But what did he say here when he says, I tell you the truth, that's the same as when he would say to them, truly, truly, I say to you, is, hey, listen up, this is important, is, is what he's saying here. I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. It's better for you that I go away than that I stay here. And the question is, how? And he says, if I do not go away, the advocate, the paraclete, the helper, the comforter, the teacher, the one called alongside, if I do not go away, the Holy Spirit will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Notice that the Lord Jesus Christ doesn't explain to them why he has to go away in order for the Holy Spirit to come. That comes up later. All he does is he just tells them. He just makes the statement. If I don't go away, this other helper who is just like me, only he is spirit and he's not in a body like I am, he won't come as long as I'm here. But if I go away, I will send him. And it's better for you that I go away. Hmm. Let's open this up a little bit. Jesus is going to go away immediately from them when he's crucified and buried. He'll be away from them for three days. And then he'll be resurrected. And he'll be with them for 40 days. And in isolated incidents, he will appear to them over that 40-day period and he'll teach them. And then when he ascends back to the Father, he'll go away permanently. And 10 days after he ascends to his throne and is seated on his throne and he takes his rightful place as king of kings and lord of lords, ruler of the universe that he has made. 10 days after he takes his throne, then he sends the Holy Spirit to them on the day of Pentecost. And what happens? On that day, he's no longer with them. He's in them. And the Father is now in them. God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit are now in them. That's what he said back in 1423. And when God moves into them, when he's no longer with them but in them, 
Now those 11 men, those 11 men who left him and fled, Mark 14, 59 says, or 50 says, those 11 men now stand up and accuse his killers that they have murdered their Messiah and their Lord. And that God has raised them up again from the dead. And that God has exalted this one whom they have murdered to his right hand and made him the ruler of the universe. And that this man, Jesus, whom you handed over to cruel men to be crucified on the cross, this man, Jesus, has poured out the promise of the Holy Spirit that you now see and hear. Wow, what a change! And those murderous Jews that they had so feared were, Acts tells us, pierced to the heart by the Holy Spirit. And they repented. And they received Jesus as their Lord. And on that day, 3,000 of those who had been party to his murder were saved. They were converted. That's why it's better for you that I go away. Now, they don't know that yet. But here's the kicker. But until the Holy Spirit comes, you're going to still be the weak, unstable, fearful, powerless men that you are now. It is better that I go away and that the Holy Spirit come. Further, while Jesus is with them on earth, they're unregenerated. Now, think about that. They're mere natural men while Jesus is still with them on earth. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, I mean 1 Corinthians chapter 2 verse 14. The natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God for their foolishness to them. Neither can he understand them because they're spiritually discerned. How many times have they looked at one another and say, what did he just say? Lord, explain to us the parable of the sower. They couldn't get it. Much of what the Lord Jesus Christ is teaching them that we understand, it just goes right over their head because they're unconverted. Now they trust in him as their Messiah, but they still haven't seen him fully for who he is. And until the Holy Spirit comes on the day of Pentecost and they're filled with the Spirit on the day of Pentecost and they become new creatures in Christ on the day of Pentecost, they're mere natural men. And they can't understand what he's been teaching them. Mm -hmm. But on the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit comes, when the Holy Spirit indwells them, 1426 here, he's already told them, He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. Then they'll understand. Then everything will come together. Then all that he taught them up to that point will make sense. Now, this verse, though, you have to understand, is for those 11 only. Notice what he says there. And when he comes, excuse me, uh, I am missing something here. The Holy, let me read the text again. Oh yeah, I'm thinking, no, this is back in 1426. No wonder I can't find it there. But Lord Jesus says, this is why 
Preachers are nice, but preachers aren't essential. Okay. The Holy Spirit and His Word is sufficient. You know? I may be rebuked for that later, but I'll stand on it right now. Back in 1426, he said, when the Holy Spirit comes, he will bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. And so when he does come, all those things that they didn't understand before, all those things that they were incapable of understanding before, it's all going to make sense. And then he says in verse 8, And he, when he comes, will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Sin, righteousness, and judgment. This is the Holy Spirit's work in the world. This is the Holy Spirit's work on the world. Now remember what we have here when he says, the world, we've seen earlier in chapter 15, the word world there means especially the Jewish religious leaders. Because look back up in chapter 15, verse 18. If the world hates you, know it has hated me before it hated you. Look at verse 22. If I had not come and spoken to them, that is the world, they would not have sinned, but now they have no excuse for their sin. Who had he spoken to? He's speaking primarily to the Jewish religious leaders. And then over here in verse 24, if I had not done among them the works which no one else did, they would not have sinned, but now they have both seen and hated me and my father as well. They saw the works. He, it was the Jewish religious leaders that the Lord Jesus Christ spent so much time rebuking and trying to reach. In the sense that not that it was a futile effort, but he was doing everything necessary to convince them of who he is. So the world here is primarily the Jewish religious leaders, but not exclusively the Jewish religious leaders. It's also those who by their fallen natural condition are hostile to the Lord Jesus Christ. So he says when, when he comes, the Holy Spirit, he'll convict the world concerning three fatal problems. Sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin because they do not believe in me. Hmm. He will convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. And of sin because they do not believe in me. Convict. He's going to be a prosecutor in a trial. He's going to prove to them beyond a shadow of a doubt they are guilty of sin because they don't believe in him. Of the ultimate sin against God. Now any sin will send you to hell. The wages of sin is death. But this is the ultimate sin against God. But they have rejected the final 
perfect, undeniable revelation of himself that God has sent. And that is in his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. They refuse to believe in Jesus whom he has sent. And this unbelief is not just indifference. It's hatred. Remember what he said back in 1518. They have hated both me and my father. And they want to kill him. He'll also convict the world in verse 10. Concerning righteousness. Because I go to the father and you no longer see me. Why did the Pharisees hate Jesus? The Pharisees hated Jesus because they said that he was unrighteous. He was a sinner. He was the worst kind of sinner. The worst kind of unrighteous man. He was a blasphemer. Because he said before Abraham was, I am. He calls himself Yahweh. And they looked at him and said, you are such an insult and such a defiant sinner against God, you ought to die. You are unrighteous. But what did God do? After they crucified him for being unrighteous, for being a danger to the Jewish people in many ways, but in, especially in leading the Jewish people into heresy is one of the things they thought. God raised him from the dead. God vindicated everything Jesus said and did by raising his son from the dead and sending over 500 witnesses who saw him alive from the dead to prove he had been raised from the dead. God was saying to the world, you called him unrighteous. He is the righteous one. The righteous one. The only perfectly righteous one. He will convict the world of righteousness. They thought they were righteous and I was unrighteous. When the Holy Spirit comes, he's going to prove to them, he's going to show to them by what has happened to me in their murdering me and then in my father raising me what righteousness really is. I am the righteous one. They are the unrighteous ones. He will convict the world of righteousness. Because I go to the Father and you no, no longer see me. God the Father has testified to my righteousness by not only raising me from the dead but ascending me into his throne room seating me in his throne and declaring me to be the emperor of the universe the ruler of all things the center of all the universe he will convict the world of righteousness and then verse 11 and concerning judgment because the ruler of this world has been judged hmm. Satan was publicly proven to be a liar and a murderer by Jesus' murder and then his resurrection. On the last day, Satan will be condemned before the entire creation 
and cast into the lake of fire to an eternal agony of the punishment that he deserves. The Holy Spirit is going to convict all those who don't believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, all those who saw him as unrighteous, as a pretender, he will convict them of the truth that they too are guilty. They're guilty of listening to Satan's lies and of following him and they too will join him in hell in the lake of fire. Now the question is, how is the Holy Spirit going to do all this convincing, all this convicting? And it's through the preaching of these eleven. Acts 2.37 says that when Peter stood up to preach on the day of Pentecost and declared the truth about the Lord Jesus Christ, that those men were pierced to the heart, as we said before. Was it by Peter's oratory? Was it his rationale and his reasoning and the way he structured his sermon? No, he was preaching uh, extemporaneously. He preached just as the Holy Spirit gave him the words. It was the Holy Spirit who was convicting those men on that day and they believed. That's the Holy Spirit's work of conviction on all sinners who hear the truth about the Lord Jesus Christ. But he also has a great work for Jesus' disciples. Look down at verse 12. I still have many more things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. But when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak from himself, but whatever he hears he will speak. And he will disclose to you what is to come. Jesus says, I still have so much more to teach you, but you can't handle it. I mean, you're overwhelmed by what I've told you already. And you're just natural born men. You're once born men. All you have is your human capacity. Your fallen, depraved human capacity. I've had to explain everything to you like you would have to explain things to a six-year-old as you're going along. Because you can't handle it. But I've still got so much more to teach you guys. I have so much more to teach you, but you can't handle it now. Hmm, what will I do when he, the spirit of truth, comes? He's going to take care of that. He says, he will guide you into all the truth. Now, here again, this is just for the 11. This verse is not for us. At least this part of the verse. The Lord Jesus Christ, or excuse me, the Holy Spirit of the Lord Jesus Christ will not guide you directly into all truth. He's not going to speak directly to you. He's not going to reveal to you the truths about God that these men had not heard yet. He's not going to reveal to you directly things that no Christian has ever heard before. No Christian has ever known before about the nature of God. About the nature of God's salvation. About the second coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. You're not going to receive direct revelation from the Holy Spirit concerning any of the things that they were not able to receive at that time because it was for them. Notice what he says here. He will guide you. That's the eleven. 
into all truth. For he will not speak from himself, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will disclose to you what is to come. Hmm. All the truth about God and God's salvation and my return, all the wonderful, glorious things that your unregenerate minds can't handle now, He will teach you when He comes because then you will be able to handle it. He will unerringly remind you of all I've said to you. Remember, that was 1426. He will bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. The Lord Jesus Christ has not taught us personally in the flesh. He taught them personally in the flesh. So he's speaking to them. But the Holy Spirit is going to explain to them everything that I've said so that you can understand it. And he's going to reveal so much more to your now regenerate minds. I almost said poor regenerate minds, but we don't have poor regenerate minds. He's going to reveal so much of all that I've wanted to teach you to your regenerated minds because then you're going to be able to handle it. Then you're going to be able to understand it. Hmm. And that, brothers and sisters, is how God gave us the New Testament. The Holy Spirit taught them the things that Jesus wanted to teach them, but that they were not able to handle at that time. Things such as his second coming. We have 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, which Jesus had not explained any of that to them on earth because they couldn't handle it, but after they're regenerated, boom, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, explaining the second coming new information or the nature of the last days the book of Revelation which was given to John after the Holy Spirit came these are not things that Jesus said in his flesh on the earth what he's saying here is when the Holy Spirit comes he will guide you into all the truth everything you need to know about your God about who I am, about who the Father is, about who the Holy Spirit is, about how we operate, about our, our inner workings, how we work together with one another. In other words, even the, the whole doctrine of the Trinity is going to be revealed to them after the Holy Spirit comes. And that will be placed in the Bible, in the New Testament. We get our Gospels. Because he reminds them of all the things I said to you. And the Holy Spirit, when he comes, enlivens their minds and regenerates their minds. And they're able to believe everything that Jesus said over three years. I can't remember hardly what I had for breakfast this morning. They're remembering what Jesus said three years ago. Verbatim. And they're able to record it and write it down. You say, well... This doesn't apply to us at all. Well, yes, it does apply in one sense when he says he will guide you into all truth. Because how does the Holy Spirit guide us into all truth? The very words that he revealed to them, they wrote down in the New Testament. The Gospels, the Epistles, the Book of Acts, the Book of Revelation. And when we read it, we're reading his truth. We're reading God's 
truth. And the Holy Spirit helps us understand God's truth. But we do need teachers. Because some things are difficult to understand, as Peter said about Paul. And that's why the Lord Jesus, in Ephesians chapter 4, gave apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastor teachers for the building up of the saints. If we didn't need teachers, the Holy Spirit, I mean, the, the Lord Jesus Christ wouldn't have given us teachers. It's as simple as that. Preachers stumble. God doesn't. Never. Hmm. I'm going to make a note here. I was wondering where to bring this in. I'm going to bring it in now. Let me read that verse again. When he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth, all the truth. For he will not speak from himself, but whatever he hears, he will speak. Just like the Lord Jesus Christ didn't speak just his own words. He made it plain that what he was teaching was his father's words. As the father has taught me, so I speak. The Holy Spirit, in like manner, teaches these apostles and teaches us what he hears from the Lord Jesus and from the Father. This is a, a reminder to us that the whole New Testament is Jesus' words. Now, I appreciate our red-letter Bibles. It's, it's hard to read them in this light, you know, the red. But I appreciate the red-letter Bibles where we know the very words of Jesus. But there are some people who say, I'm not interested in what Paul or Peter has to say. They're just men. I want to know what Jesus had to say. I got news for you, son. The whole New Testament is what Jesus said. Because the Holy Spirit is his spirit. And as the book of Acts says, in the former treatise of Theophilus, I taught you what Jesus began to do and teach. And he's still doing, and he's still teaching through his Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit is his spirit. Paul may have penned Ephesians, but the teaching is Jesus' teaching through the spirit that he sent in dwelling Paul. And the proof of that is in 13. Whatever he hears from me and from my father is what he's going to inspire them. He, that's what he will speak. And he will disclose to you what is to come. Hmm. This is a little glimpse that we have into the Trinity here. It's interesting that Jesus has a couple of hours before he's crucified and he's spending so many time, so much time giving us glimpses into the Trinity. You wouldn't expect that as the last words. You would, you would think it would be other things, but he's so concerned that at least we get a, a glimpse into what the Holy Spirit's going to teach us about the nature of God. See, here in this verse it tells us that the words of one member of the Trinity are the words of all the members of the Trinity. Jesus speaks what the Father taught him. The Holy Spirit speaks what, the, what Jesus and the Father taught him. 
They have one heart. They have one mind. They have one will. They are one God. Hear, O Israel, Yahweh, our God, Yahweh is one. And that's what verse 15 is all about. Look down there. All things that the Father has are mine. Therefore, I said that he takes of mine and will disclose it to you. All of the Father's will, all of the Father's thoughts, all of the Father's desires are mine. And the Holy Spirit is going to take what's mine and the Father's and he'll disclose that to you. The thoughts, the desires, the purpose of one member of the Trinity are the thoughts, desires, and purposes of all three members of the Trinity. They are one. Okay, moving on. Finally, what's the Holy Spirit's goal in all that he's doing here? All he's doing in the, in the, the apostles and in the disciples through the apostles, all that he's doing in his convicting work in the world, look at verse 14. He will glorify me. That's what he's doing. That's the Holy Spirit's work. He will declare all of the Lord Jesus Christ's excellencies and all that he is and all that he's done for sinners. All that he is. This is the Holy Spirit's work. He is the image of the invisible God talking about Jesus, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things consist. That's what the Holy Spirit inspired. That's what he heard from the Father. That's about the Lord Jesus Christ. He will glorify me. You read that and the Lord Jesus Christ is glorified in you. He takes all that the Lord Jesus is and all that he does. All these excellencies. Colossians 1.19 In him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. That's what the Holy Spirit inspired Paul to write. In chapter 2, verse 9, in him, that is in Jesus, all the fullness of deity, all that God is, dwells bodily. He will glorify me. The Holy Spirit's making it plain that the Lord Jesus Christ is God Almighty. That he is the eternal creator. That he is Yahweh become man. He is truly God and truly man. All that Jesus is he glorifies all of that. He, this excellency of who our Lord Jesus is. And then he also glorifies the Lord Jesus and what he's done. Luke 19.10. Jesus has just called Zacchaeus down out of the sycamore tree. And he says, I must eat at your house today. And everybody's... <gasps> he is a traitor. He's a collector. He works for the Romans and he cheats us. And he gets rich by cheating us. He's a chief tax collector. There are other thieves and traitors working under him. And Jesus says, I must eat at your house today. And Jesus turns around and looks at all these self-righteous Baptists that are standing there. And he says, for the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. The Holy Spirit glorifies him in that God Almighty would come to earth to seek and save sinners. That's what he does. 
That's grace. And he glorifies him in his grace. The Lord Jesus Christ is predicted in the Old Testament, fulfilled in the New Testament. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was on him. And by his stripes we are healed. All we sinners have gone astray. We've turned like sheep to his own way. And Yahweh has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And we hear that and we realize this is our God doing this for us. For us. The likes of us. He will glorify me. I mean, what do you do with a God that loves you and gives himself for you? All you can do is worship him and obey him and adore him. He will glorify me. But how will the Lord, how will the Holy Spirit glorify the Lord Jesus Christ through these 11 apostles? Hmm. Through their preaching. They're going to preach what the Holy Spirit reminds them that Jesus had already said. He's going to teach them. He's going to inspire them directly what to preach and what to write down. So the Holy Spirit is going to glorify the Lord Jesus through the apostles. And those who hear the apostles preach and are converted, and those who read what the apostles preach and are converted (coughs) over the next 2,000 years are going to teach and preach and testify to the very same things that the apostles had written down. And we, (coughs) at this end of it, we hear the truth about the Lord Jesus Christ taught out of this word that the Holy Spirit inspired the apostles to write down. And we testify to who he is. And we teach who he is. And we preach who he is and what he's done. And he's glorified now. Here's another glimpse into the Trinity. What was Jesus' mission on earth? If you read through the, the Gospels, just read the Gospels. Jesus' mission on earth was to glorify his Father. And to reconcile his elect to his Father. To purchase his elect for his father all these sinners from every tribe and tongue and people and nation to come and be converted through faith in him because of what he's done for them and they will worship his father forever and what's the Holy Spirit's mission it's to glorify the son the the son glorifies the father the Holy Spirit glorifies the son and through him glorifies the Father. And what's the Father's heart desire? The Father's heart desire is that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You you see, here's the Trinity. They're all working for the glory of one another. All the glory of God. Each member of the Trinity honoring, loving, Glorifying the other members of the Trinity. <laughs> what a God. Another point. The Holy Spirit's work is to glorify our Lord Jesus Christ. That's his purpose. 
So any true work of the Holy Spirit will be Christ-centered, be Christ-focused. The Holy Spirit will not draw attention to himself when he moved with power. On the day of Pentecost, Peter didn't stand up there and began teaching on the Holy Spirit. Wow, guess what just happened to us? The Holy Spirit just came in and filled us. Wow, let me tell you about him. No, what did, Jesus, what did Peter do on the day of Pentecost? Men and uh, brethren of Israel, hear me. Jesus of Nazareth, and that's where he starts and that's where he stays the whole time. Any true work of the Holy Spirit with power on the earth is going to exalt and be focused on the Lord Jesus Christ. Hmm. Now let's go back to verses 8 through 11 because you're thinking, Harry, you left something out. And I did that because I'm trying to figure out how to go through this this evening and have one continuous line of thought. So you say, when you're talking about the Holy Spirit's work in the world, it was all conviction. There's nothing but conviction there. There's nothing but proving them to be sinners, proving them to be worthy of hell, proving that they're condemned by their sins and by their unbelief. And that they ought to join Satan in hell. And they will join Satan in hell. So the question is, where's the grace? Here's the grace. The grace is, many of those who are convicted will be pierced to the heart. And will cry out to the Lord Jesus Christ, what must I do to be saved they will repent. They will trust him. And it's just like the, the Philippian jailer. He had been hearing the truth about the Lord Jesus. Because these two men that he had been a party to whipping with rods that day. Until they were bloody. Until they were bruised. Until they couldn't lay down. All they could do is sit up. He heard them singing hymns to this Christ. And praying doctrine to this Christ and describing all that this Christ is and all of his glory and how he was worth it and when the foundations of his world were shaken and he looked up and all the prison doors were open and he realized he's going to have to suffer the penalty of all those men whom he thinks have escaped and some of them may be condemned to be crucified that he draws out his sword. He's about. He says, "I'd rather commit suicide and have to go through what they were going to go through." And what does Paul cry out, "Sir, do yourself no harm. We're all still here. The prisoners are still there. The gates are open. Why didn't they run? They heard what Paul and Silas had prayed. They heard what Paul and Silas had sung. They heard about this Jesus. They need to hear more." And the jailer runs in and falls at their feet. And what did he say? Sirs, what must I do to be saved? There's the grace. Some of those who hear the condemnation of the Holy Spirit and who hear the conviction of the Holy Spirit 
will cry out for mercy to the very God that they have blasphemed and the very God that they have fought against and the very God they have treated with contempt. And they're going to hear from us. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. There's the grace. Mm. For whosoever shall call upon the name of Yahweh will be saved. The funny thing about it is, in Romans chapter 10, Paul's not talking about the Father. He's talking about Jesus. For if you believe in your heart, or if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For whosoever shall call upon the name of Yahweh will be saved. I thought you were talking about Jesus. Yes, I am. Yes, I am. Mm. I think that's enough for tonight. You see, this is all by grace. This is all through faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. What a Savior. Stand up. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him all creatures here below. Praise Him above ye heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen. And we are dismissed.